We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is July 24th. The offseason, I think, is over. And I'm here in studio with Charlie Johnson. And we are going to kind of today reflect on the, the five signings the Wolves made because yesterday there was that press conference where, for me, it was my first exposure in person to any of those guys and just kind of what they said and what the what Rosa's and Saunders kind of what their message was that they were trying to purvey there and portray I don't know what purvey <laughs> means but um but yeah just kind of just kind of dig into that a little bit and 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 use that use that press conference as like a definitive stamp on what happened this on this offseason so as to look back a little bit at at what didn't happen yeah well now I mean it was a strange offseason where now we can finally kind of accept that these are the players who are going to be on the Timberwolves, whereas, when <laughs> you know, we didn't, like, do this right after they were signed because there was this feeling of, like, another shoe's going to drop. Mm-hmm. And Garrison Rosas gets up and says, we're not done making moves. And so you say, okay, well, you know, who's safe? And he says, evaluate the roster on October 1st. So you're kind of just waiting for something major to happen. And then suddenly they introduce these five players. You just you sent me... A, a tweet from Timberwolves.com that was just like <laughs> a picture of of Lehman Vonley, Napier, Graham, and Bell. And you're like, what you said, I think, was, if I would have said this to you on June 1st, <laughs> would have you believed me that this is what the, the Timberwolves would have done in the offseason? And, you know, the answer is, the answer is no. And I think that's, that goes to show that while we can, you know, we can track out all these different paths and the most likely paths and the what you know what seems to be a logical progression a lot of times other paths 
materialize along the way. There's just so many moving pieces in the NBA and um, moving pieces within the, the Timberwolves themselves. And I, because I know this is the way you feel, and we've talked about it on other podcasts, we feel this is a somewhat logical path to have taken, yet was one that we yeah we never even saw. No, not at all. Well, I think you just, we have such a different perspective. We get nailed into like, okay, you know, the Timberwolves signed Gorgie Jang, two, you know, three years ago and they locked up Andrew Wiggins and they signed Jeff Teague and now they're kind of, you know, in this cap hell. And so they're not going to be able to do anything big. So what can they do around the margins? You know, use the mid-level exception, use the biannual exception. Whereas uh, we probably should have thought someone like Garrison Rosas is going to yeah. come in and go, how can I blow this up? Like, what's the biggest move that I can make? Right. I, I think the, the lens I looked at the offseason through was was through kind of the way that Tom Thibodeau had maneuvered the team, which was was traditional. It was, we have this much cap space, we're going to break it up into these players. These are the exceptions that we can use to, you know, to make other additional small moves, Anthony Tolliver here and there. But oftentimes in the more modern NBA, with a new style of front offices, it's it, there's many more layers to, you know, to the things we can do it, or and you're seeing that with the, with the acquisitions, just on the fringe guys, but even someone like Naz Reed signing a contract that's guaranteed for one year and then has three more non-guaranteed seasons, or Tyrone Wallace, who's in here on uh, a non-guarantee, a sign-and-trade for Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham, and it, I, I just spend a lot of time myself looking, like whenever I want to look at a team, I don't know if this is even the best way to do it, but I'm like, oh, who's on that team again? Just look it up. I always go to like their salary page. Yeah. And so I'm just used to what like an average team, you know, kind of looks like mm -hmm. in the way, you know, a couple of contracts going out into the future, a couple other ones. But the Wolves now, their, their roster and their contracts are structured in a very vertical capacity and not very horizontal. And I mean that in the sense that there's a lot of players on – Short-term deals mm -hmm. and and not even guaranteed ones. So it's just it's just a very it's it's probably something we should have anticipated. It's very Gerson Rosas is what we understand Houston have been. It's very Sashin Gupta of what what the Philadelphia 76ers were with what he was doing. And we probably should have given more life to this, you know, this path being rolled down. Yeah. But we got distracted. Mm -hmm. And that was by D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. And I, I think it was just when I was sitting at the press conference and, you know, you're looking up there and I think all these players are fine. They're NBA guys. They're worth the risk. But I'm sitting there thinking, huh, this, this could have been or would have been the D'Angelo Russell introductory press conference. Yeah. <laughs> and that carries such a different vibe. I, 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 mean, I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, like Steve Ballmer just like, Losing yeah, yeah. his mind, clapping yeah. and screaming and all that, and I'm pretty sure Glenn Taylor wouldn't have got up and done that if it was D'Angelo Russell. But it would have, you know, it would have been bigger. It would have been, it would have been something else. And when I say tricked, it's all of us. I mean, me too. I, I spend more time than I would like to acknowledge thinking about this team and analyzing what it is that they may or may not be doing. And you know, you kind of fall into this sinkhole of you know, believing the rosiest path mm -hmm. and, or, or even if it's not the rosiest path, the shiniest option. Yeah. And it, you know, if I'm going to write an article, it's going to be 
way more intriguing to lay out the way that they can acquire D'Angelo Russell mm -hmm. rather than what's the most cost-controlled way to add five you know, veterans for <laughs> around $10 million. It's like, so I, I don't know. It's just like the, this, the construct of the way that, you know, I think our, our minds work. Yeah. That, that made us really like turn our attention to the right, which was D'Angelo Russell, rather than looking at what was probably more likely to happen going on on the left. Yeah. Combined by Jake Lehman. Or even another way of looking at it that we could, in just kind of reassessing how we predicted or evaluated the way that this offseason might turn out, we talked a lot about aggression and how Rosas always used that word. We're always going to be aggressive. We're you know going to knock on every door, whatever. And so I think that we generally agreed that they'd try to be really aggressive, which that's like a D'Angelo Russell. How can you tr get off of the money required mm -hmm. to sign D'Angelo Russell or, or maneuver, your, put yourself in a position to uh, complete a sign-in trade? What we should have then done is said, what does aggression mean if you don't land D'Angelo mm -hmm. Russell? Because aggression, if you don't land D'Angelo Russell, probably isn't you know going and using the mid-level exception on the player who can give you the most value right now. Aggression probably which is, is what we did. Which is what we did exactly. Aggression probably is doing what Rosas did, which is like you said, keep the keep the roster sheet vertical, yeah, vertical yeah. instead of horizontal, so that you can get the next D'Angelo Russell and keep being aggressive. Yeah, I, I think just something I've learned from Rosas, and you know, to, to be clear, I'm. I'm a relative supporter of a believer in what, you know, what has gone on. And I think it, it made sense. I think this was at worst in, you know, an okay off season. Um, whereas maybe Russell had the signing Russell had the illusion of it being great. But I, I think what we've learned in Rosa's and the way he's going to speak and the narrative he's narratives he's going to put out there is he's putting out talking points. Mm -hmm. I mean, alignment, aggression, acquiring high-level talent, it is, it's not untrue. I don't believe that's, I believe there's going to be alignment. I believe they're going to be an aggressive front office. I believe they want to land high-level talent. But I think they're also keenly aware of the notion that people want to hear that and that if they hear it enough and then if the media perpetuates it, that that will grow a belief that that's what they're doing, good, exciting, shiny things. And it's, it's just funny for me, and it's why what I wrote after the press conference was just like, huh, everyone's really into this right now. Like, Timberwolves basketball seems to be, I don't know, everyone seems to be very engaged yeah. in, in, in what is occurring, yet they didn't actually do those talking yeah, totally. point things. Totally. And I don't know, that just is this lays, lays out a, a bizarre sort of backdrop for for what this season is as they as they kind of step into it. Yeah, it is probably something to think about more is that whole like you know, executives in any walk of like life like we've talked about will use the media or you know, communication as a tool to like spin the narrative in the way that they'd like it to be spun. Um and Daryl Morey, or sorry, Gerson Rosas comes from the Daryl Morey tree, and he probably does that more or as much as mm -hmm. any other general manager around the league. Like, to a successful degree, the Rockets are always an exciting team being talked about. You kind of feel like you have an in on what their strategy is because Daryl Morey's out there talking about it, and that makes people excited, and it makes them feel like they're in the loop and like they're part of it. They have some skin in the game. Um, so that's just something that's going to be interesting to monitor going forward because it's important to think about why things are out there. And it's not abnormal. 
No, like that's not an abnormal, not. you know, way of of going about it. It's very different than like Tom Thibodeau. Well, yeah, well, Tom was Thibodeau was the abnormal T. Yeah, that's a word. Right. <laughs> it was just Tibbs was muted. Yeah, there there weren't talking points. There was just talking. He'd rather not have not allow the narrative to be spun anyway. Right. Yeah. It was. It was just. I mean, because I mean, h- literally hundreds of media availabilities of Tibbs, and it is you're there with your microphone and listening to him talk and you, you kind of, you kind of gather what his tendencies are. Right. And it was, he, he, he did this thing where if it was a question that pressed him to give a real answer, he answered, but he just, his, he, his rebuttal was just talk for a really long time. Grandstand. About nothing that, yeah, yeah. That, that nothing that the question actually directed. And it's just, I don't know. It, it presents a whole, it opens a whole box of its, how do you do this? It's such an interesting tactic to filibuster a media room when you could just like walk out if you wanted to, <laughs> or just give like a two sentence. Sam Mitchell, it like Sam Mitchell. It, or, yeah. I mean, a lot of guys. Yeah. It's and I don't, I'm, I'm not a, I've never been a president of a, a basketball operations. Yeah. I never will be. It just, there's things you have to do. There's just things you have to do that may come off as disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you if you want to look at this offseason through a darker lens, you could say that, yeah. They let a narrative spin, as you said, of they're really going to get D'Angelo Russell. And and that was like likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. They allowed that narrative to go. But of course they would, right? Yeah. Of course they would. The whole fan base is super excited after being dormant for a handful of years. Yeah. And like, <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do? Fan base is really excited. They're, they, they love the idea of Kat and D'Angelo Russell and that next season is going to be awesome and they're buying more and more tickets and everything is growing. Wait, should we slow them down and say, <laughs> yeah, we're not sure Russell's coming. Like, we're going to try. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's just what happened. Like, it, 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 just, it just is... It just is what happened, and like that's o- that's okay. But it but it puts us at a really funky sort of spot right now at this bookmark in time of the offseason is over. They've had their press conference. They had their draft. They had all of it. This is the roster where we're like, huh, thought D'Angelo Russell was happening, and now we have Shabazz Napier, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not that Shabazz Napier is like, Bad. It's funny, he has a parallel. He literally was D'Angelo Russell's backup last season, and there's all these Brooklyn connections with Prigioni and Pascusi and all this and that. And I just, for me, it's just that's the perfect encapsulation of it. Yeah. I, I think you make a good point about, though, like, like what's the alternative here? Is the alternative to just stay extremely quiet and, and never let a rumor get out about your interest in D'Angelo Russell and never... You know, when the question comes up at a news conference, don't say the aggressive thing because that has implications that you're kind of chasing for stars. And that doesn't seem realistic to me. And my other question is, do you think that it helps your kind of like public pursuit of a player to make it known through the media that you're extremely interested in them, that you are gearing your franchise toward landing them, toward making you like a center point to making that player a center point of the franchise's future. Like I, maybe I'm wrong, but I have to believe that that's a helpful recruiting tool when the alternative is radio silence. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't know. What do you think? I yeah, no, I I, I think it was wise. Yeah. Because look look at where we are. They literally missed out on DeAndre Russell. They did not make the team better. The team is worse. There's less talent on the team. They might be able to make it better through utilizing the pieces better, better system, blah, 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 all that, that these pieces might fit better together, but you have less talent. Mm-hmm. The fan base is more into your product, and your best player is pretty openly happy yeah. that you tried. And just like from Russell specifically, do you think it makes it made him more interested in becoming a Timberwolf because they were so open about their desire to have him play for them than he would have been if they would have just been silent about it. And obviously they would have been recruiting him behind the scenes. Well, I think it was a, it was a situation where he was going to get this much money no matter what, this, the maximum. Mm-hmm. That there was a ceiling to what he could earn, right? And because of that, what the Wolves had to bid with was something other than money. Mm-hmm. You know, because Golden State was out there to pay him, the Lakers were out there to pay him, whatever, a handful of teams would have paid him this four years, $111 million that he would have paid. Yet they needed to they needed to get him to agree. Yeah. So you have to use other tactics. You need to make him feel really wanted. Yeah, flatter him. You need to flatter him. You need to use cat mm-hmm. as as this tool. And I think I think they did all those things. And I think they did that in a wise way. The reality of the situation might have been though, with Minnesota all we can offer you is 111. We're going to try and do all these things and acquire this high-end talent, but it's probably only like a 10% chance it actually happens because if Golden State does get into the mix, he's probably going to choose them because they're the Warriors and they live in California. Mm-hmm. Like, it was... It, what, what I'm starting to process is it was never... It was never as likely as as it may have been. They they had the, They had the moves all lined up to you know, to clear the space they needed to clear and all that. I, I, I believe that. But at the end of the day, it was about getting, we've talked about this a bunch. It was yeah. about like, you had to check a lot of boxes mm-hmm. for it to happen. I think when we were like, they all seemed like 50% propositions of happening. Yeah. It's like, we were like, remember like 50% yep. times 50% times 50%. And it's like, at some point that gets you down to like six. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I just think, I think that's, what the like the value proposition of it was all along, yet the narrative being spun was a far far higher percentage than that, and yeah, it's just kind of fanhood. Like, well, and maybe it, there was a higher percentage than that. If you're to take it at the <laughs> what was reported is basically that it was between the Timberwolves, the Lakers, and then the Warriors swooped in out of nowhere. Like, can't you? Maybe that's a 30% chance. Like maybe it was mm-hmm. a higher percentage chance than that. And then the Warriors yeah. really did swoop in. And, I did, I'm and just saying, even if it's 30% chance, like the perception was like 90. Oh, sure. You don't think so? No, I guess I think you're probably right. That, I think that's probably. Cat posts a freaking Instagram, like yeah. all, all, all that. And it's it's been this narrative all along. And Zach Lowe's saying this and and Shams has been reporting it for a month. And it's, it's, all, it's all these little seeds yeah. that have been, been thrown in and people are like, well, look at all these seeds. It's true. I think that's probably more just like how the NBA works nowadays when you mm-hmm. need to get stars. Like that's kind of what the Rockets have gone through, through the, over the last three years. That's what the Lakers have gone through over the last five years. That's what the Clip- Clippers have gone through until two weeks ago. Sure. The Nets, not really the Celtics, but the Knicks, like you're, you're trying to get stars and you're going to strike out until you hit a home run. You just are. And the other option is to sign Taj Gibson and Jeff Teague and, you know, mm-hmm. try to like 
a Mesh- more traditional, like linear arc. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I still do believe that when the next Angela Russell comes around, they're going to try again. Mm-hmm. I just think that probably will be like a 10% value proposition again. Yep. And it's, that's, but I think that's just the game they're playing. That's just the game. That's yeah. just the game they're playing. And, and there's nothing wrong with that game. I don't think there's anything wrong with that game. I, I just sitting up there and, and seeing Layman and Bell and Graham and Napier and yeah. Bonley, you're like, well, this was the alternative. Yeah. And that's just, those guys are going to make, I, I added it up. Those guys are going to make 10 and a half com- million combined hmm. this year. Wow. You know, it's just nothing. All five minimum contracts is eight. Yeah. Like it's, they're just two such polarizing paths. Yep. And I think they're both good paths. It's just weird the way they overlapped. Yeah. And well, and like you said, the overlap like is no starker than D'Angelo Russell to Shabazz Napier. (laughs) Totally. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And and so I guess at some point, like, D'Angelo also just got to kind of like yeah lay that to rest, and these are the guys. Mm-hmm. Like, but that was I, I think that it was such an interesting observation that you made in your article this morning because that was despite the fact that he's not playing for the Timberwolves this year, that was the highlight of the, the off season of the summer was the the pursuit of D'Angelo Russell, and so it's worth talking about. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, how many times is the highlight of the summer something that you swung and missed on? <laughs> right? Like well, yeah, and be. it's still viewed positively. Yeah. It's just it's just funky. Yeah. It, it's it's not good, it's not bad. It's just like I also, what the hell? I also think this is a, a broader compliment to the NBA fan base community because it's gotten a lot smarter. Like you've kind of totally this is a tangent, but like you're kind of watching it happen in baseball. Like they're starting mm-hmm. to embrace analytics and more and like saying, like, yeah, shifting is a good idea, and why are we using our relievers for mm-hmm. only or our, our closer for only the ninth inning. Like, this is just something that's evolving. Yeah, it's, it's the evolution of roster construction. Yeah, and fan bases are, are more accepting of the idea that we need a D'Angelo Russell. We saw what, you know, the Jeff Teagues mm-hmm. and, and Anthony Tolliver's and Taj Gibson's can get us. So we, we're willing to be patient. And, and that seems to be kind of where that positivity comes from. There is a group of people in charge that have proven themselves to to deserve to be called smart right. throughout the course of their careers, and they are trusting their process. Would you say that fans are, I would say fans are certainly less interested in their team becoming a 48, 49, 50 win team today than they were five, 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and I think so. And I would say demonstrably so. Totally, because tanking has become fun. Uh, on some level, I'm not even joking. Like people, Tank, but I would say, I would go further than that. I would say tanking and cap space, yes, and the illusion of a vertical salary sheet that lets you paint an idea of anything as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, I mean, the the Timberwolves like stunk back in 2015. Like mm-hmm. they come are coming off of a 16 win season, yet you're like, all right, Cat Wiggins. Levine, we just drafted Chris Dunn. Rubio's still pretty young. Like mm-hmm. you're like, it's it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of the unknown, and I think that's just the, I think that's the evolution of fans. Yep, and I I would put myself in that bin bin too, where you're like, yeah, I would just kind of rather my team 
they don't need to be tanking, but they need to, I either want, I either want to see a path to serious progression or I want them to be a contender. Living in that middle ground is, is just less appetizing these days. And, and, you know, to each their own. Yeah. There, there's other, we were just talking about this, but you know, before we went on air is there's other people out there that are pissed that the wolves didn't just kind of run it back this next year. Mm-hmm. And, Bring back Ty Skips and Dario Saric, Tyus, Derek, you know, like all, all that. <laughs> Tyus, <Jones. laughs> it, it, yeah, and, and that's not wrong. They would have won more games, or they their expected value of wins would have been mm-hmm. higher with that group. But now you're more horizontal. Yep, and um, it's a it's just a it's a personal preference thing. Yeah, well, and you make a good point. You said that. Like NBA fans want to see the path toward contention. And that kind of brings us full circle to what we talked about for the first 15 minutes of this podcast, which is this whole idea of Rosas, you know, is he being disingenuous? Is he just communicating honestly? It's he's making sure that the fan base fan base knows there's a plan. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe it. I believe there is. Yeah. Who, well, who knows it, if it'll work? Every, I mean, pretty much every single move, <laughs> however you feel about that plan, you can see every single move lining up to it or like, you know, being, I don't even know what the right phrasing is, but like being positive toward that plan. Yeah. Moving in the right, it looks like they're moving in the right direction. There might end up being things that happen outside of their control that make it just impossible. If Andrew Wiggins never, you know, takes a a step forward, if Cat isn't able to become an actually a top five player in the NBA, there's just, there's some things that are like kind of out of their control. Jarrett Culver's progression, whatever, you know, it's like, that that would limit you, mm-hmm. you know. That would limit you, even if you had the perfect process. Yep. And I don't know. It, it it's just it's it's fascinating that those different type of options uh, are laid are laid out there. Um, I, I I do want I want to talk about Napier Layman and those guys. And I think it's just as as I was sitting there, you know, take taking notes before this about you know what to talk about. I, I wrote turn turn off off season brain. Mm. And and that's a thing, you know. It's just like a a thing where you're you've really widened, like you're, I don't know if this analogy works. Do you, do you ever play like Madden back in the day, oh, the yeah. QB vision? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Where you're just like you got the Peyton Manning QB vision. That like that's the off season where you can you can see anything sideline like sideline yeah. past, past anyone. Yep. You pursue any any route. Yeah. And and now like it's time to turn that off and like zero in on one receiver. And because this is what they're doing for this year, mm-hmm. you know, open it back up at the trade deadline, open it back up in the off season. But like, I don't know. I, I, I would contend that people are doing them a dis, doing themselves a disservice if they spend the first three months of the season thinking about how the wolves can get back into the trade mix for D'Angelo Russell come December 15th. Yeah. You know, yeah. Totally. Or whatever, or even the trade deadline or I, I don't know. I, you're cheapening, cheapening yourself of what I like, which is the basketball that happens along the way. Yeah. And along those lines, players like Napier and Lehman and Von Leip present, you know, interesting receivers to kind of to kind of zoom in on. And the one that and which was kind of the second half of my article, the one I really focused on was Napier. Mm. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but I, I, I think he could be the most impactful of the group, not necessarily because he's the best player or, or anything like that, but I mean, it's Jeff Teague and Shabazz Napier, right? Yeah. Like Tyrone Wallace. Yeah. I mean, we, we were talking about this in the media room after the press conference yesterday. We're like, you know, I mean, how many minutes is Napier going to, or it was kind of how many minutes is Teague going to play? 
which is then minus 48 is, is yeah. what, what <laughs> Napier is going to play. So I guess start with that. Like, what do you see Shabazz Napier's role being? The, the backup point guard. I mean, mm-hmm. un- unless Jalen Noel, like, is a star in training camp if he actually signs a contract. But I think he's he's got to be the backup point guard because he has experience in that role. He has experience playing, you know, both the one and alongside a one. So in that sense, he can play with Teague. But in like a very functional, literal sense, he's going to be the backup point guard who chews up those minutes. And then will, in all likelihood, unless other changes are made, spot start when Jeff Teague is resting or injured because there's no one else. Which, I, yeah, I think it's a conflation of those two things. Like Teague has not been very healthy mm-hmm. the past couple of years. Um, obviously, the end of the season, and I think it was it was more so a shutdown than it was a big injury, but even if it just was, even if it was just something lingering in his foot, ankle, whatever, a bridge of his foot or whatever, um, it's still like his one of like five or six injuries that he's had over the past years that have just kind of nagged at him. And he said all season last year that he never played 100% at 100%. So not getting any younger, yeah, I mean, Shabazz Napier could very well start 2025 games for yep. the team this year. Yeah, That's not out of the question. We, we we tend to look at teams every season around the league. You look at the depth chart, and you're like, okay. And you you know that thing where people do where they do the, uh, what should the rotation look like? And they do like 30 to the starting point oh, guard, yeah, yeah. parentheses 30, backup, yep. 16, <laughs> the third string two, <laughs> and like that. And it doesn't work like that because – because weird things happen along the course of the year where all of a sudden Jeff Teague's out for 12 games and Ty Jones averages 38 minutes per game over those 12, and it, it throws off the averages. So there's just a little bit of chaos to this, and amidst chaos when you don't have a lot of depth, like I, I think the, the role could be big. And mm-hmm. then the other thing that I got into is I think he's going to play the two. Yeah, yeah. That, and I, he, he should is what I would contend, and that's because he's been awesome at it. In, in Portland... And in Brooklyn, I mean, it, it, how crazy are those numbers? Crazy. That, I, mean, I mean, his DeAndre, and what those numbers are, if you haven't read the article, is DeAndre Russell's, of the seven guys he played the most with, his best two-man net rating last season was with Shabazz Napier when they're on the floor. And it was for like a lot of minutes, like yeah. 325 or something like that. And then you go back a year before when Napier was with Damian Lillard, his net rating was plus 12.3. Damian Lillard's was. The, the, the two of them together. Yeah, yeah. Lillard when he played with, with Napier. Napier. Yep, yep. And and that's just massive. And it was the it was far and away the best in Portland. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty staggering and substantial sample size of like, not only can Shabazz Napier play the two alongside a ball dominant point guard like Jeff Teague, his track track record suggests he can thrive in those situations. Yeah. Um, Teague's at a different certainly at a different level below. Russell and Lillard, but does that subtract from what Napier can do? I wouldn't think so. And I I think a little bit, but go ahead. Well, I think it's just gonna be You like that I asked you a question, then I answered it before you could say three words. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I think it's just gonna be really interesting to see how this whole kind of bench unit plays out because they've lost like you lose Derek Rose, he was a lot of your bench unit offense. And if Jarrett Culver doesn't like really hit the ground running like you you don't have much offense on that second unit and so Shabazz Napier could very well end up being the backup point guard basically the pseudo two whenever you want to play him alongside Jeff Teague mm-hmm. but also the sixth man who when things are slow you just need somebody to come 
get on the floor, take threes in transition, like slither your way to the rim and try to get to the foul line. Like he's going to, he, he will do that. He, uh, he is like been parallel to Tyus Jones because I, he was the 24th overall pick in 2014. Tyus Jones was the, the 24th overall pick in 2015. They both won national championships in college. They're both teeny. They're all this totally different players. Totally different. I mean, Shabazz Napier is an absolute gunner. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and he is, he is looking for his shot. He will take bad shots. He will barrel to the rim. Like it's yeah. in so many ways, the antithesis. Tyus Jones took of th- Tyus Jones took attempted 13 field goals per 100 possessions last year. Shabazz Napier attempted 21. That's a lot. A lot. Yeah, I mean, he and I, I bet you it was even. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I bet you it was high in uh, high in Portland the year before too. It's just like yeah, that's his ethos. That's yeah, who, who he is. And um, he, he, the question wasn't Gunner at the press conference yesterday, but uh, it was Britt was asking him about his shot mix and you know this team needing to get you know more pull up threes and. Or getting more threes and how pull up threes are kind of a way to really boost that volume and and Napier is like yeah I've always been that way yeah. like he goes that that's what I've been since my mom put a basketball in my hands like basically saying like I'm a gunner yeah and uh, and who's the last guy the Wolves had willing to really do that Tolliver like, <laughs> remember when we were talking about yeah. it last year we were like finally we're gonna have somebody on the team who you're yeah. like okay Anthony couple less threes <laughs> all right how about somebody with the ball in their hands though Mo Williams yeah I mean like. <laughs> It's, it could be fun. Yeah. No, I mean, it will, it will be it will be fun and it will be maddening. It kind of like Jamal Crawford. Yes. Um, where you're like, wow, I feel like he kind of won us like three games. And then what my, the, the question is, can you balance it out with, how many, like, did Jamal Crawford lose them like eight games? Yeah. Can you just lose us like two? Yeah. Like, you know, that would be, that's kind of the, the, the balance of it. And it's just like the nature of that style of microwave point guard and um yeah he he just like very much is that mm-hmm. and and i don't know i think i think this team needs that kind of right yeah totally i mean he's a career 39 percent shooter from the floor and he was That's really bad lower than la- that last year so gunner like makes sense he's going to have i mean we both watched a game before this to kind of prepare mm-hmm. a little bit and it was like, what was he, three for 13 in that game? Yeah. From the field, one of six from deep. But then he gets to the line 12 times. And yep. so he's going to be, I think Jamal Crawford is an interesting comparison because it's going to be maddening at times, like you said, mm-hmm. because you're going to feel like, oh, Shabazz Napier lost us that game. And and the role, as we assume it, is going to be large. Yeah. Which kind of leads to like more of that maddening. Mm-hmm. But I, I at the end of the day, what I, I go back to is it's like, well, you've you've carved out like a twenty minute a game role for him, and that role just exists on this team, and that's the one guy you want to, you know, you want to go get. He's not going to change who he is, Mm-mm. like in a, a a noticeable way. So they've signed up for a mandating point guard, I guess, and and fans will, I don't know, I I could really see it going either direction. Where you're like, oh my god, Napier again, like three for thirteen again, yeah, or so it, who do you think? I don't know. It just it does invite questions when you think about Teague and Napier in a vacuum, especially a relatively injury riddled Teague. Who's gonna be the Jared Bayless who when Teague is hurt, who's gonna back up Napier? Because this seems shallow. You know what it I does. mean? Like Jared I mean, Bayless sucked, but you could give him the ball and say, like, try not to go screw this up too bad. Yeah, well and now how it's shaping up is with 
I mean, they got, assuming they sign Noel, that's 15 guys on guaranteed contracts. That's a, a full roster. And then you have Tyrone Wallace, who you would think would be that, that third yeah. kind of point guard. But he, he's more of like a 1.5 big body kind of more rumble to the rim sort of yeah. dude. Like they don't have a... They don't have a Jared Bayless. They don't have an Aaron Brooks from the year before or John Lucas from two years before that. Like Totally. Because what was useful about those guys, even if they weren't very productive like in a general sense, is they could be trusted just to have the ball in their hands, mm-hmm. like to run an offense for six minutes. I think it's Jordan McLaughlin right now. Maybe, right? yeah. I, I, well, there's literally no it one pro- else on the roster. Or Jalen Noel. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Like We just don't know anything. I don't, yeah, I, I can't, like, speak about Jalen Noel at a high level, but from what I've gathered is he's more like Wallace. I yeah. don't, you're not like running an offense with them. That's true. And I don't know. Some people are probably listening to this and like, well, have you heard Ryan talk about Culver <laughs> <laughs> played point guard at Texas tech point Wiggins. That's kind of an interesting thing. Like those are secondary ball exactly. handlers exactly. on the floor. I, I mean, wh- how many minutes do they play with zero point guards? This it, it would seem inevitable that they'll play some, just given the fact they have so many wings on their roster. But Rosas, I was one thing I was thinking about while really taking deeper dives into these players is that quote that Rosas had about playing one point guard, three wings, and a center. Mm-hmm. Is there are a lot of players on this list who don't totally fit into any of those molds, like your Vonleys? I mean, even a Napier, mm-hmm. but like your yeah. Vonleys and your Laymans, it's like. What are they? Are they, they the bigger wing? Like, is Vonley a backup center? Yeah, like, I, I just, I know they're talking about that. I, I think there's a, I think there's a dis- disconnect between the way they talk about positions being the 1.3 wings and a big as offensive players versus defensive players. Because Ryan and Kirsten have both also acknowledged, I mean, in yesterday they did it quite a few times with both Vonley and Jordan Bell. They were like, yeah, you know, both at the four and at the five. Well, you were just talking about how those one positions. So I think when they when they break down those groups a little more in depth, I think they're talking about um, defensive positions. And um, which makes sense. Because, for the bigs, at least. Yeah. But with with Napier and just like kind of, I, I just think he is going to fall into the, the wing bin some. And also, we can go back to Brooklyn and what they did. I mean, and they are going. I mean, I, I asked Rosas yesterday. It's like, you know, is that a, the team whose ethos you know you're you're trying to like emulate this season? And he said, I think that's fair. You know, and that was that wasn't just Russell. It wasn't just Napier. It was Dinwiddie and Lafert. I mean, all four of those guys carried a ton of time with the ball in their hand as a lead ball handler, as the pick and roll initiator. And I think you will see that with the Wolves this year and Culver and Wiggins being Dinwiddie slash Levert yeah. in, in that sense. But those guys always also played alongside yeah. one of Napier or Russell. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's it feels like they got to get 48 minutes a night on average out of Teague and Napier. And that's just a lot to ask out of many two players. Yeah, absolutely. Just Particularly your weakest that's their weakest position. Yeah. Well, then that's what I was just going to say is I think that that makes a lot of sense to emulate your offense. And he went on to say like in the Rockets and the yeah. Warriors as well, just that smaller, faster, mm-hmm. more versatile or whatever he right. said. Um, but I think that's interesting because this whole conversation has just alluded to the fact that there is a 
they have scarcity. <laughs> they don't have good ball handlers. Yeah. Like that's going to be the weakness this year. If one, yeah, Jared Culver and Andrew Wiggins, like maybe that'll be fun, but maybe it'll suck. Like mm-hmm. it could be really, really bad this year. Wiggins could not take a step forward. Jared Culver could just be like a normal rookie who you don't get that much out of, sure. even though he's the sixth overall pick. And then you basically just got Teague and Napier, and now you're really doing a dangerous dance. And I don't know, it just it kind of leads to they're probably going to add another point guard at some point this season. Yeah. And this is not a certainty, but if there's one player in the team that you're looking at that's most likely to get moved over the course of the season, it's, all, it's Jeff Teague. And just because he's expiring, he doesn't fit the whole age window, maybe doesn't really fit the system to to some extent like and it's just it's kind of the guy that you could see someone who wants to be a contender needs something at the point whether their point guard got hurt like and they they want i mean i could just see jeff t yeah. be traded so then what happens then well, and for the Wolves, yeah. sense. We, we might get to a point where like, you should trade Jeff Teague. If the mm-hmm. Timberwolves are way out of the playoff yeah. race and there's a team who's willing to give up a second-round pick for him, it's going to be like, well, maybe you should hold on to him so that you can like not absolutely suck for the rest of the year, but maybe you should take that second because he's walking. Like, There's a good chance we're going to have that conversation in about mm-hmm. four months. And then like you're saying, it's going to be, okay, so if we decide to pull the trigger on trading Jeff Teague, we've got you know our last 25 games of the year are just right. going to be... Abysmal. It just—I don't know. I just thought of this, but you remember at the the trade deadline, you know, we were talking about it's like go out and get a one of those depressed assets on a rookie scale contract, the Dennis Smiths, who are just teams ready to get off of. I'm trying to think of some other ones, like Alfred Payton, Markel Fultz, Markel Fultz, um, Stanley Johnson. Yeah, I guess that's also a point guard. Yeah, Malik Monk is kind of like a two. But I I guess what I'm saying is a lot of those guys were um, were points. Lee ball handlers and they, man, that would just fit really well on this young team right now. If you have Dennis Smith Jr., who, who's like, I'm actually not not high on him, but what we're talking about right here is you got 20 plus minutes a game that if Shabazz Napier is healthy all year, that he's going to get. Yeah, exactly. And wouldn't you just rather repurpose that into a 22 year old who has kind of stunk, but like yeah. might not? Exactly. I don't know, which just kind of brings up a whole a whole bigger theme, and it was also, I, did you watch the press conference? No. Um, the the first question was obviously it's Sid and his Sid Hartman, and his his first question was, how many of these guys are on multi year contracts? <laughs> was he being genuine? He didn't know. No, he. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he knew. Yeah, he did not know. Um, he didn't know he what was the press conference Rose, was for. <laughs> he was he, asking Rosas? Yes, on TV. That was the first question up on the stage was that. And actually, Rosas handled that well because that's a tough question. Yeah. Because the reality of the situation is it's like we're keeping the powder dry. Yeah. We're trying to have cap space. We're trying to have flexibility for the future. And he was like, yeah, we're tra- these guys are betting on us. We're betting on them, yada, yada, yada. We're all trying to have something to prove. Like, whatever. Fair fair answer to that. Yeah. But, but my, my point being is – so many of these guys are just one, one and done. Like, what if, even if Napier's good, even if Napier thrives in that twenty minute a game role, like, what, what do you do? What and, do you do next season? He's going to be gone, right? And, and he's not the star you're looking for. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, not. so what are you going to do? Like, I think we talked about this last week. It's like Napier plays great and he commands a three year, thirty five million dollar <laughs> deal. It's like the odds of Rosas giving that to him seem. Little 1%. to none, one percent. Right. I mean, so it is. It's like a what? What are the Timberwolves proving besides? If, if that? Tyus Jones is any indication, like Rosa's appetite for that, for a non-star point guard, 
starting is like, because with Tyus, they were like, we will pay you as a distant backup. Yeah. We will, I don't even think they considered the possibility of Tyus being the starting point guard for the next yeah. three years. Like, I think that was off the table. Totally. And I don't even, I don't even think it has to be point guard, like a non-star player mm-hmm. for the vast majority of the time. And that's actually, well, it's a whole top heavy thing. It's like, yeah. let's invest in two or three high end guys and then have everyone else, everyone else make as much as Shabazz made if you're just making yeah, this year. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's an ethos that I subscribe to as yep. it relates to the NBA. And so I think that's why I tend to be a little bit more sympathetic to this off season sure. and the fact and, and the way that it played out being not ideal because I'm sure this was like about their plan F scenario, mm-hmm. but just being a given where the, where everything was at the right move. Um, that being said, like they got worse and it could not work well. Like they could never trade for the right player or they could trade for somebody and have them be the next Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. But man, they sure did keep the powder dry. That's true. Um, I think that that contract conversation of wanting only high-end and low-end guys on your team, I think it's interesting as that pertains to Robert Covington, mm-hmm. who we all um, you know, regard as worth more than that deal. He's got like $32 million left over the next three years, or so, maybe 34 over the next three years. Um, it's a good contract, but it's one of those weird contracts where it, it's middling. So... You know what? It, what does Robert Covington get if he was is out on the free agent market next year? I don't maybe, know. Maybe twenty million a year. I wouldn't think it'd be that high, but maybe. But that's the thing. So that's the whole that's the whole argument for him not being that valuable. I and a disclaimer: I think he's super valuable to this team as it pertains to Cat and everything else. But just like in a vacuum of like market value, there's this there's this notion that he's a really good role player, but really good role players make. 20 million a year. So it's like this 9 million of positive value a season. That's not like a ton. And, and if you're not generally into that type of guy, unless your team is great, ready to contend and you just want maxes and minimums on your team, which that's what we believe Rosas is, which we believe is a smart, yeah, you know, thought process. What does that mean for Robert Covington? That means Come the future means you're willing to shop him on yeah. draft night. I mean, I think that's that, just funny because a lot. Of, I think a lot of GMs would be like, "No, yeah." And I, I, I'm guessing it's more of like a a difficult conversation where it's like, "This mm-hmm. is all me, like trying to put myself in the no. head of Grissom." I think Russell's. where you're going is accurate. Yeah, but it's like he's an incredibly valuable player to our team. We'd rather not give him up if if there's one player that we're going to have on a quote unquote middling deal. We'd like it to be Robert Co- Robert Covington. That being said, like. We may not contend for the next three years. And it's because you want that middling contract guy when your team is ready to win. Exactly. Or to be one of the four best teams in the league. That was, or that's what the Rockets model was. Mm -hmm. That's when we'll sign Ryan Anderson. That's when we'll go get PJ Tucker. Mm -hmm. That's when we'll go get Eric Gordon. Like we talked about on the last podcast. It's, it's timing. But, but yeah. So great. Robert Covington's under contract for the next three years. Are the Wolves going to be in that pushing that? top four, top six contender range over those next three years? Well, probably not, but that's the goal. Another interesting... Yeah, but but that's what I'm saying. If it's not, probably not, then it becomes eminently more shoppable. Absolutely. And I just think that's like... I know I, now I'm turning back on off-season brain and, and looking at bigger things, but it's... I think that applies to this season as well, and yeah. it applies to... 
you know, how committed are we to a cat? Cat and Covington are clearly our best players. How much are we going to embrace that these are the guys who are going to try and shape everything around them? Because they might be like, no, let's put together a system that's going to make us really good three or four years from now. And that system is probably a, a style of play that is different than a style of play that highlights Cat and Covington. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. they're just, the more you move along there, there's this like widening gap of disconnect between those yeah. two. So it's just something I like, I have my finger on mm-hmm. monitoring. Well, not that they would have, but Robert Covington has never been mentioned by, I shouldn't say never because he has been, hasn't been consistently mentioned by Rosas as like a cornerstone or nope. anything like that. But I think another way of looking at it is that when D'Angelo Russell became trade fodder, the trade was like a, a sign-in trade where you weren't going to need to like give up a ton of players to get him or right. a ton of value to get him. But if Bradley Beal becomes available, Robert Covington is going to be arguably the most valuable asset that the Timberwolves have in mm-hmm. their coffer. So maybe they you know, would have been willing to trade him to get Darius Garland on draft night, right. or they weren't, it, it appears. Mm-hmm. But he could be extremely valuable in the pursuit of another star right, down right. the road. I, I kind of say that to lead into they finally like got the most... Um, they finally kind of alluded to what that Covington will be the, the starting. Yeah, that was interesting. Play, play a lot, and I, I, the, the times I've asked about it is they'll say something and like, and then Covington can play the four, and da, 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 and so I'm like, what? So is he? Is that going to be his main role? And a lot of the time they've, you know, been like, ah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And what Ryan said yesterday was that. He goes, I wouldn't say that's the option, but I should look up the exact quote. I think he said strong possibility. Yes, I think that was it too. Yeah. Which is like, as far as coach speak goes, that's like as concrete as you're probably going to get. There is a strong possibility of that. Yeah. I said, is the operating assumption that Robert Covington will be starting at the four? He goes, I wouldn't say assumption. I would say there's a strong possibility of that, which is, yes, coach speak for as much as that. But it, he immediately also followed that up with, which I thought was kind of confusing, because I'll say I also like Andrew Wiggins at the two. And so he's now he's doing like this multi-layered coach speak thing. And I was, I'm like, what does that mean? If you like Wiggins at the two, then the that three. means you want Covington at the three? Or I, I don't know. I think oh, yeah. that was kind of like the next level of connection I said to that. And then he's like, and also then you have like Jake who can play multiple positions. So I don't know if you like rearrange the words in that. And sometimes Ryan kind of like rambles and goes in different directions like anybody would when they're just being bombarded with questions and microphones in their face. But if I'm just going off of that, I think it might be, I think it might be Wiggins at the two and then Covington slash Lehman starting at the forward positions. Yeah, I was just going to say, reading between the lines of that, I would... Start to bet my money on a team. And they might need to be figuring it out. They might yeah, be yeah. figuring it out in training camp. But if, based on that quote, if I was putting money on my game one starting lineup, it's Teague, mm-hmm. Wiggins, Lehman, Covington Towns. Yeah. You agree with that? Well, we, I know we've talked about this before, but everything kind of changes over time. Yeah, everything changes. Would you start Jarrett Culver, I guess is what I'm saying, day one? It's really hard to say that because we didn't see summer league and I'm not in practice and I don't know how he holds up against that competition. So just with my extremely limited knowledge, just like from sure. digging into Jared Culver in college, I would say I'd probably not start him game one because I don't know how good he is. Yeah. That being said, the coaches have a much better idea of how he's... Jake Lehman's way more of a known. Yeah, exactly. It, way it, more of a known. There's three years of tape on him. And it's... Coached him. Yeah. Like, and also given that Culver hasn't 
played in summer league or anything like that. Like if you're going to put him into the starting lineup game one, it's going to be really hard to take him out of there. But if he's playing great in a reserve role, you know, on November 29th and you want to get him into the starting lineup, like that's going to be just fine. You know, a lot easier to put him in than take him out of it. I would just, I think Vanderpool had a lot to do with the acquisitions of those former Blazers players, which is not just Jake Lehman. That's also Napier, who was there in 2017 and 18. He was like, hey, this guy is out there, and he costs nothing. Like, he was very good for us. He was very good for us two, two years ago, and he can play a lot of different positions. Like, let's go get him. And same goes for – and it was a much it was a much smaller role, but but he was – Noel Vonley was there too, and Vanderpool would have had – obviously worked with him and have had connections to him. So I don't know. I All three of those guys, I'm kind of pushing up my list on their expectations of what I think they can and will be. Napier, Lehman, Bonley. Yes. Yeah. Because I, they played with Vanderpool. And I think, well, I was just going to say it, I think there's, I, I think the associate head coach role and the head coach role are very close. Yeah. And Vanderbilt's way more experienced than Saunders is, and that makes I think he will have a lot to do with what's going on. I think that offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, like game plan manager, football analogy that has been made is apt. Like Mm -hmm. I think he's genuinely going to be the offensive coordinator. Like that stuff's going to run through him, so it makes sense that he'd have some sort of say in all this. If you before the Timberwolves had signed Jake Lehman were asked what position does Jake Lehman play, like three. in a general sense, you'd have said three. Yeah. I mean, I I've watched he Yeah, me too. I I've been just watching him over the course of the year. The, the, I, I do kind of two different things. I learned this with Jeff Teague back a few years ago, where you think you know a player because you watch not know him, but you feel like you have a pretty good idea of a player because you watch a lot of league pass. And Jeff Teague really taught me. I'm talking about back before he was signed here and I started watching him, you know, 82 games, was that I did not know Jeff Teague. I, I mean, I watched Hawks games. I watched Pacers games, but I wasn't focused on Jeff Teague. And that was, we're in the Eastern Conference, you know, when the games are starting at six o'clock. And I can't say that when I was just scanning my league pass of like, oh, Pacers, Charlotte, like, Hmm. See what let's see what the Pacers have tonight. Oh, and like looking at a Jeff T. What I, but what I'm saying by that is a lot of times with players, you watch them a lot and you're not there's a difference between watching them and spotlighting them. Totally. You know? And um I watched Jake Lehman a good amount last season. I did not spotlight Jake Lehman a ton last year so as to be focused. And when it's like a a guy who's like the fourth or fifth piece out there, to understand them, it's really important to spotlight them. Because they blend in inherently. Their role is to blend in. So I've I've just started with all these guys, you know. And like we said, and we haven't really gone into it that much. We watched the we watched a, a game where Noah Vonley had a big game and Shabazz Napier had a big game, spotlighting them. And Travion yep. Graham also played in that game. And I've done that with a couple of Jake Lehman games too, where it's I'm still gathering on them. Yeah, I'm aware of who. They might be, but I'm going to have such a better idea of who they are. Forty games, twenty oh. games, and in, you know, in, into the season, and it's the same thought process as the draft, and it's why I don't dig into the draft that much because it's a lot to spotlight, and it's going to be wasted in a couple of months. <laughs> exactly, but it's like, and Jake Lehman is would be a very important player to spotlight, and I'm with you, like mm-hmm. just start, kind of more or less starting to do that now because I probably saw six, seven, eight Jake Lehman games last year. But he is an incredibly 
inconsistent player. So depending mm. on what game you caught him on, man, you could think he was like, why Why didn't he start every game all year? Why did he get taken out yeah. of the starting lineup? And if you watch another game, you could be like, wait, they gave who a three-year deal? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's uh, tough. So I'd try to watch games and like dig into data. And one thing I thought was interesting, not that interesting because it kind of confirms the idea that he's more or less a three, or at least he was in the mm-hmm. past, is I was looking up the Jake Lehman lineup data from last year and okay. who we played the most lineups with. He only played more than 50 minutes with four different lineups. One of them was like 400 minutes, and it was the Lillard, McCollum, Lehman, Aminu, Nurkic starting five. That was the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Blazers starting five for a long time. There were two other lineups with Lillard at the point and then kind of Harkless, Aminu, and Lehman at the 2-3-4 mm. and then either Cantor or Nurkic at the five. But then there was one lineup where uh, Lehman played with Seth Curry, Rodney Hood, Evan Turner, and Zach Collins. It was kind of oh, like... so he's a four He there. was the four with hmm. the backup unit. And they only played like 60 minutes. It was super successful, but a yeah. small sample. But clearly, like, there has been some testing of right. the waters going on. Well, and on when you there. said with the, the other one, which was more, the Aminu Lehman one. I mean, I would, I would call Aminu the four in that he, because he can defend fours yeah. more so. And that, and, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where it's like, are we defining who the four is by who they're guarding or by the role they're like taking on offensively? And generally, the smart basketball people say your position is about who you can guard. Yeah. I, I think, no, no, no. I, I, I think so. I think this regime's different. That, yeah. That, I, that I just, well I, true. and I'm gathering that by the fact that I'm asking a lot of questions about those things that the opportunities I've had are just like kind of side conversation. And it's, it's it's a little more vague because I don't think they define it as much that way. I think they do both. Does that make sense? Yeah. The defense and the offense mm-hmm. element of it. But I kinda I kinda cut you off on Lehman there. And that that that's interesting because I would have I would have more so said it was the I w- closest thing he got to a four was alongside Amenia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But and he's and, huge. Yeah, he's he's huge. He he's listed at six nine, but he seems like he could be taller than that. He you know, it's and this is not a good measuring stick, but I just do the, like standing next to people. Yeah, thing and the, you know the well, How tall are you? Six three. Yeah, or I guess like without shoes, it would be like six two seven five or something. <laughs> like I, I look at all that. I'm like that's one of my favorite. Like as if I'm not looking up a salary page, I'm looking up people's like combine measurements because that's like one of the stupidest things in the NBA is when guys are listed at like heights that are yeah. way different than I'm like why don't you know like we the NBA actually measures these guys. Yep. When they're adults, so 99% of them stop growing at that point. We, like, have their heights. It's just, like... I, I do wish they kept measuring, though. That would be awesome if they measured height and weight every year or just something weight, like that. for sure. Weight. I don't yeah. think height and wingspan can increase that much and over time. Only in special cases, like the Giannis is where you go, oh, it'd be interesting to know how tall he is right now because he clearly grew four inches from when he got drafted. You think? I uh, bet you he did not. I bet you he did not grow four inches in height. It, four inches. Maybe you're right. Anyways, maybe it was two. I, yeah. But whatever. It, this is a stupid tangent. It'd be interesting to know. Um, it, it, it's important. It's important. It's the first thing I did with Jarrett Culver when I was like started thinking about him in the NBA. It was like, right, what guys are, how many guys are like six, five and a half with a yeah. six, nine wingspan and weigh under 200 pounds? And that and was, was like super informative. List. Yeah. I think it's a good, if you're someone like me who like, casually watch Texas Tech mostly just in the tournament, you're like, well, I 
I need like a baseline understanding of what shape this guy is yeah. at least. Yeah. If, if I can't, I'll learn maybe what type of player he is in the future. It's just, it's hard because particularly in the college setting, you're like, it looks pretty big out there. Oh, they're playing like a team in the whack or whatever. Like that, yeah. that is. Well, your point different. is so true that some of these players are just bigger or smaller than uh, you would assume them to be. I, one, it was one of the more interesting things about when I covered my first game was seeing some of these players and you go, Dario Saric is massive. Like, biggest, is, is tallest guy on the team. B- bigger than Cat. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, and I actually, I was, I was sitting at a bar in downtown Minneapolis the other day and I saw Jared Culver walk by and mm-hmm. He's taller than the yep. you know the six five and a half that he's not he's literally six five and a half but he appears to be bigger and taller than that and it it's funny because it like matters and it doesn't matter you mm-hmm. know but it there's something about just appearing to be big yeah well and you hear that term like plays bigger plays bigger I think it's to def- I was gonna say to defense guys who appear to be bigger like when you're standing next to them a lot of times and this is a super loose metric I, I think they are better defenders Jimmy Butler is that way. I thought of Jimmy, but before like I, Jimmy Butler came to the Timberwolves and I saw like stood next to him and saw him and covered him. It's like Jimmy Butler's like a two guard, like I don't know, like in my head six five without shoes. Even though I know he's like listed, like Jimmy Butler's tall. Mm-hmm. He's a tall guy. He's taller than, um, and Andrew Wiggins is that way too. Yeah. Where a, a lot of times this seems kind of backwards if they're not like centers, power forward centers. Most of my experiences being around wings and certainly point guards is they're smaller yeah. than I would have anticipated and close in height to me who's like I don't know what I'm the size of a, what I would yeah. have thought a point guard is yeah. you know and it's I don't know it's funny because think about it back in the day when you played basketball it was like that was part of the game that was part of the mental element it was like how big are these guys totally like if these guys are big it's gonna be harder yeah if these are short and fast that's gonna be different it's like part of the game is just aesthetic assessment mm-hmm. of like the anatomical measurements of yeah. people and, and <laughs> how do we start talking about that I don't know <laughs> Jarrett Culver I, yeah um, I don't think oh starting Jarrett Culver was that maybe, what we're talking I don't know. about that, it's, well I, you answer that do you think that there's any way they start Jarrett Culver uh, eventually, or game one, and I shouldn't no, say I, I, anyway. I'm really, I I don't know. I, I really think it's gonna be Layman and Von Lay are gonna kind of get first bite at the apple there, and it's kind of just because I, I tweeted out that um, the thing that Saunders said about Covington at the four and Wiggins at the two yesterday, and it kind of led into a little conversation in the comments about it, and a lot of people saying they're you know anticipating Von Lay, and I was like. Me too. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what my uh, assumption was, and um, anticipating Vonley at the f- four. four. Yeah, yeah, okay. starting at the four, and uh, that's kind of antithetical to the one point three wings one five thing. But then we're like, well, they've said all these confusing things. I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I assume. It just it, that's the vibe I got. I think that's what I said last week. Like my gut said Vonley would start. Yeah, I think is that I what know. I? No, I think I said oh. Vonley. Did you say Vonley? Maybe I said Layman. <laughs> Our <laughs> guts are the confused. Point. Yeah, it's right. like there's so much. Right. Um, but but uh, then I, there's, people are going back and forth about that. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're just going to play a ton of lineups. And starters are important. I'm not saying that's honest. The, the, like you said with the Jake Lehman data, like that, those are the guys who play together the most. It's important from a continuity standpoint. But this team is going to be like Brooklyn. It's going to be like Brooklyn. That's the closest comparison you can make. And... And Brooklyn played a million different lineups. Yeah, they had some injuries, but it was part of who they were. They were like, 
this is what we want to do in this game. We are not going to be reactive to the size of other teams. We think we're going to control the, the type of game or the way the game is played by the type of players we're putting out on the floor. They're not going to be uh, a reactive team. And, and both Ryan and Gerson were saying that yesterday. And afterwards, we were sitting in the media room, and, and we were thinking about it. We're like, when was the last time the Timberwolves were that way? And Jace was like, just was like, never, never. He goes, remember how like when they would play a team who played really fast, we'd be like, Wolves are probably going to win this game because the Wolves, whenever they do play really fast, they play really well, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I was like, yeah, totally. They, yes. They've always been a, they've always been who they are, you know, if not reactive. Like they, they're not, they've never been a proactive team. So I think in proactivity, comes diversity in in the lineups that you're that you're rolling out there and so the thing for me to be tracking more so is how much are these guys all playing and how much are they playing in if, in different lineup combinations yes the starters are going to play the most at different times it's going to i feel it's, it's highly unlikely that the starting lineup that they roll out game one is going to start more than 40 games together right yeah no highly unlikely well, totally. And that's always kind of a thing because injuries, whatever. But yeah. And they they set themselves up to do exactly what you're saying. You just right. like run through the list of the layman fondly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Culver, Covington, sure. Wiggins, Bell. Like you could imagine so many different lineups with those players mm-hmm. at so many different positions. And we'll probably get to see all of them. And that's fun stuff. Like right. lineups are fun to evaluate, in, in my opinion, totally. to say like, oh, why don't we see this person playing right. with this person more? Why does this person play with this person? It should be obvious that they wouldn't work together. And then be like, okay, well, the data says this. Is that Do we actually think that? I mean, yeah. it was only like Luol Deng was really good, but why was it only, it was only like 116 minutes. Like, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. It's yeah. a, and it's a le- conversation starter. And theoretically, if you have, you know, smart people running the show, it should lead to constructive decisions being made within sure. the front office and the coaching right. staff because you're operating off of more information quickly before we wrap up and because we did watch this game that Noah Vonley played um where he scored you know 22 points he was a main a main piece of of that Knicks game and and I would like to say our exposure to Vonley is bigger than one random game in January that we watched but um just kind of quickly thoughts on him and then maybe even quicker Jordan Bell okay um I thought that you said Noah Vonley scored 22 points. It was a career fi- high for him. I thought that, you know, that's encouraging, obviously, and some of, like, we watched a, yeah. a good game of his. But I thought it was intentionally. also... <laughs> intentionally. I thought it also highlighted some concerns. Like, he scored... Totally. Like, three or four wide-open pick-and-pops. Like, absolutely wide-open mm-hmm. that, first of all, he's not really going to likely get with the Timberwolves all that often. But also that... The fact that defenses gave paid him absolutely no intention is very concerning. If you imagine him playing alongside Carl Anthony Towns, okay, but it was Brooklyn. That's true. That was Brooklyn, that's and that, fr- that's what remember Brooklyn did that against Gorgie. Do you remember true. that? And they, they they like they Brooklyn did that all the time. Where it was Vonley started at the five in this game, and so Jared Allen was on him, and they were like, no, mm-hmm. Jared Allen, like play below the nail, play, yep. give it to him, give it to him, and like Vonley, and and he did that against Gorgie, who was like a good mid range mm-hmm. shooter. They were like. That's fine. That's still a bad shot. That's the type of shot we're willing to give up is a, even if it's open, a 19-footer from or 20-footer from Gorgie Jang or a Noel Vonley three-pointer because the numbers say that that's what we want them to, the shot we want them to take. Particularly because Allen is so important to their lane defense. Yeah. So I know that's a, that's a little bit of a tangent, but in this game, and, and for context, if people want to like look it up at all, it was, it was January 
25th, um, Brooklyn versus New York. Yeah, and that's a good point. It, it, it probably was more accentuated by the fact that they were playing the Nets. But if he's playing alongside Cat, like right. no one's going to pay him any attention, even if it's a little <laughs> bit more than that. Sure. Like, he's not going to be demanding. But but he's going to shoot him. But he is going to shoot him. Gunner too. Yeah, he he had a couple of like taking taking both Jared Allen and Ed Davis off of the dribble mm-hmm. a couple of times in that game where you're like, well, that was a nice play. Like, I don't think you could make that shot five times out of 10, but yep. like impressive you made it that time. So maybe, you know, 20, 23 year old, 24 year old, like there's some room for growth there. Like he, he does do some interesting things with the ball in his hands. He's a, a, a mm-hmm. solid defender, but I would just be concerned about that, that offensive fit. If he's going to play next to Carl Anthony Towns at all, sure. I just think that, Defenses will do the same thing where they're just going to sag off of him. Like any time anyone was posted up, they would just help off of Onley's guy and double team the guy in the mm-hmm. post. Like every single time. So I think that's a little bit concerning. I I have uh, more concerns than optimism about Noah Vonley. Yeah. And part of that, it, I mean, part of it, one, is he's a guy who signed for a hair above the minimum who we think is going to play a lot. Mm-hmm. Most guys who are making $2 million, who sign a free agent contract for $2 million, if they're given a big role, are not going to be great players. That's what Vonley signed for. I also am, am curious to see how, what playing in New York last year did for his mentality. Because they said, go for it. Go get buckets. Go... They're green light everywhere. Go, go, go. And doing that, it changed his perception. Noah Vonley's perception in the league. People are like, oh, man, Noah Vonley, shoot a little bit, take people off the dribble. Like, it it totally improved his market value. I know he only signed this one-year $2 million deal, but... Krasinski, John Krasinski reported that the Wolves offered him a multi-year they deal. They offered right? him a multi-year deal, and yeah. he wanted to do one just to get back out there. I think... My, my larger point is that I think Vonley wants to do that again. And if he's really good, if he takes another step forward, him being very aggressive and assertive offensively is a good thing. I think it's unlikely that him being very aggressive is a positive thing for this team, yet I think it's, he's going to be very driven to that. He said market value a few times, even when people were asking him about his one-year deal like I think that's important to him and I'm not coming at him for like trying to you know get money and get paid and he's had an underwhelming career at this point and he hasn't gotten that contract that he should be doing that but that's a dangerous thing it's a it's a it's a fine line to toe when you talk about continuity and actually being helpful and productive and realizing that cat's the most important thing for this team because as you know as optimistic as I was about Napier and I'm like Okay, Vonley, you could be good. Both of those guys are inherently selfish players. That's just like kind of in who they are. And then Andrew Wiggins is that too, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Those are some guys, uh, guys who are going to be playing with Cat a lot. Yeah. And Covington isn't shy when it comes to shooting, pulling. You know, like but, uh, yeah. what? What? <sighs> with Cat, you you need to get him the ball. It's like, and, and you need people to buy into that being the most important thing. And with Napier and Vonley, I think they could be fine, but they might subtract from that a little bit. Yeah, that is a really good point about it being a contract year for him. I didn't, that's concerning that he was talking about his own market value because that's obviously like at the center of, of his purview right now. Um, the one way that I think that he could prove to be very helpful is, mm-hmm. and this is 
counterintuitive to obviously the thought process that he has right now is like taking on the Taj Gibson role, like be a rebounder. He's a good rebounder and the Timberwolves yeah. haven't been his rebounding rate. His total Tied. rebound rate last year is 25%. Taj Gibson's was 15 or 16%. Mm-hmm. Like that means he grabs 10% m- more, more of the, the rebounds boards. than Taj Gibson does. And the Wolves have been bottom yeah. five in defensive rebounding grade all the, since Cat has been in the league. Yeah. So that's a big part of why the defense is stunk. And that could be super helpful. Like you, you can be that guy on the glass and then, mm-hmm. you know, if you can hope that he figures out a way to to shoot threes like at a moderate rate. Mm-hmm. Last year he made 31 of his first 76 threes, 41%. Wow. And then and then he made 15 of his last 61, 24%. I would imagine fatigue plays into some of that. I would imagine the Knicks were tanking plays into some of that. I would also imagine they let him shoot more. They let him shoot more. And what's more, like I think about Taj Gibson where at the beginning of every year it's kind of like, okay, Taj has been working on his three and he'll kind of like shoot mm. a, a decent number uh, of them over yeah, the yeah. first month or two and then it'll slow down because okay. he's not practicing it for an I assume mm-hmm. because he's not practicing it for an hour a day yeah. like he was during training camp. He's right. not as comfortable. Um, but if he can do that, if he can just be like bored man and if he <laughs> can shoot an occasional three, then I would imagine that's his route to getting paid next year. Sure. But it doesn't seem like that's how he thinks about it. I don't know that. No, no, I, I'm, case, I'm, but I, that's how I, he, I think you're, I think you're onto that there. It's sometimes it's, it's hard to, when you're trying to get paid, when you're trying to get a big contract, it's, it's hard to be like, well, did you see my like 16 minutes per game I played, but look at my per 36 numbers were and check out my defensive total. rebounding rate. Like that's yeah, absolutely. That helps you on the margins. I don't think that's going to help you get like a, a, you know, a fat, deal i mean yeah. it should because the gm should be smart but um in a vacuum it's, it's something to watch yeah it, it's it's something to watch with him and i at just with him with layman with napier um with graham none of those guys did you really i mean napier should be okay but like did you get a real a shooter there and then a shooter a three-point shooter and then jordan bell is not at all this is the one of the notes that i wrote down was it feels like there's a disconnect. It was very similar to with Tom Thibodeau, where you constantly hear that we need three-point shooting, we need three-point shooting, we need three-point shooting, but then like you never sign a three-point shooter. Yeah. I mean, Napier should be labeled mm-hmm. as a three-point shooter. But, I think so. But that's it. And like, how do you square that? Because there were other alternatives, like who could kind of shoot, like Anthony Tolliver. Like if that really is your number or one of your top priorities, how can you sign six players? I, guess, and, I mean, and prioritizing positional versatility and youth. Yeah. It just seems like if that's really like they made it seem like a top priority and then to have one of your five acquisitions yeah. kind of like exhibit that trait. Seems strange. I, I I would agree with that, and it I think it's kind of I think it's a bunch of different things. I think it's it's also just that it was hard to probably sign a shooter. Uh, it was hard or impossible to sign a young shooter on a one year deal, and we know that a one year. I think if we're ranking them, it's like one year deal was most important. Positional versatility, youth, youth, three point shooting, and I think I would say or like defense probably above three point shooting. Yeah, seems, it looks like it. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. I mean, it's their prerogative. We'll, we'll see. And maybe they have plans of other guys like shooting it a lot, up a lot more, and that will be something they do. But it, it is certainly not an area addressed. And Jordan Belt, yeah, is it? Well, and maybe you hope Trevion Graham can kind of shoot more like he did the first couple mm-hmm. of years of his career. And you hope that you just play a little bit more netsy, like we talked about, where yep. you just have everybody shoot threes. Like, just running more. Like you, you t- and Jace Frederick tweeted out like that picture of the yep. 
the Venn diagram of points per possession from every shot of the floor, every spot of the floor. Like mm -hmm. you're just trying to grill that into everyone's mind, like to an extent. You know what, man? I don't think, I don't think a lot of players get that. It doesn't I think, seem like. It. <laughs> I don't know, and there. I think there's there's this thing where they're way better at playing basketball. A lot of guys are way better at playing basketball than they are thinking about it. And and so it just, at least for those who are, for those who are better at playing basketball than they are thinking about it, it's important to drill some of those things in there. And when you're a team that's lost talent, as we've covered today, you got to get more efficient. You got to, you got to correct some things on the margins. And obviously that's a big area for opportunity with this team because they were not efficient. They did not shoot a lot of threes. Andrew Wiggins shot a million 15 to 19 foot jumpers. Jeff Teague delayed too often. So as to, I mean, cause you can have efficiency in the time and the shot clock as well. If it's, you know, you're going to shoot a lower percentage if there's three seconds left on the shot clock and you've wasted the first 21, there's all these things. If they, they can polish all of those things out to make this group work to win 36 or as many, which is how many games they won last year or more. Like, I don't know, for some reason, 538 has them winning like 43. I don't really get that. Yeah, I don't um, But it is possible. It's totally possible. But it it comes from connecting everything together, yep. connecting all these rogue pieces who are all back with Vanterpool and Prigioni <laughs> here and, and getting them to all buy into the same thing. That's, yes. that's really what it is because none of those five guys are all that talented. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wrote about it in my last column. I called it schematic efficiencies. Like mm -hmm. that's what they're going to need right. to improve all across the board. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I think this is the, 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 the Timberwolves end of the offseason by like doing a press conference. So we'll see if anything else is left to develop. I think we're going to have a guest for a pod, one more pod, July pod. It'll still be July, right? No, it'll be August. No, I think it'll be July. Like I guess I don't know first. the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know what date. We're, we're going to do one more guest uh, next week. I'm still ironing that out before we, like the NBA, take a couple weeks break into the beginning of August. So look for that next week. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. I'm Dane Moore. This is Charlie Johnson. He's at C. John's MBA. I'm Dane Moore MBA. All of our stuff is at zonecoverage.com, at zonecoveragemn on, on Twitter. So, Keep looking for the lesser amount of content that we're going to shoot out <laughs> the rest of the summer. And uh, thanks for thanks for being with us one more time, one more pod next week, and we'll call it a summer. Till then, peace out.